Welcome to the AFL Ratings Podcast, round two wrap. My name is Pete, and I go by the name of AFL Ratings Pete on Twitter. I would like to welcome in co-host Aaron Bryant. How are you, Aaron? Good, Pete, although it'd be better if my fantasy team uh, lifted this week. I had a, a pretty poor run. I had Clayton Oliver pop off on the Friday night game as the captain, as my new inclusion, and my rank jumped about 10,000, I reckon, and I was looking pretty good. I think I was ranked 3,000 by the end of the night, and... And then I completely capitulated by the end of the weekend, so I've got, I've got a few things to, to do in the next couple of days. Yeah, the first two rounds have thrown up some uh, challenging situations, um, even for the uh, most seasoned fantasy player out there, so de- definitely a challenge for quite a few out there. Anyway, so you uh, were at Adelaide Oval yesterday, Saturday, round two, and you broadcast the Adelaide-Richmond game. So just your initial assessment of that game, which seemed to turn around at halftime. Yeah, it was a really weird one. Um, to be honest, I, I didn't think there was much flow to it at all. I mean, Richmond looked incredibly dominant. I know Adelaide came back and brought it back to a, a one-point game in that in that third term or in the final term by the end of it. But um, Richmond, I think, just took their foot off the gas a little bit. And, and Adelaide realised they had to play this frenetic high-pressure footy to try and get back in it. But th- there was always going to be a concern heading in. Adelaide had a six-day break after playing in that 36-degree heat against the Giants, and, and they ran out of legs. And Richmond, meanwhile, uh, against Carlton, you could tell the midfielder hadn't quite clicked yet with you know who was first to the ball, who was the link player, and they really started to gel on the weekend. It, it felt like Tim Taranto and Jacob Hopper are the new dynamic duo. They they understand where they need to be. Um, they're, they're really intense when they fight for the footy, and they rack it up quite comfortably. So uh, even though Richmond won by 32 and it got close, I think it was always the Tigers' game. Their, their ball movement was really slick. Their forward line had the height advantage over the Adelaide defence, and I'm a little worried about the Crows. I think they just don't have a superstar midfield. Rory Led's their best player at the moment, and, and he you know was back to form on the weekend. But it's really a one-man show right now, and when you're playing against those top-tier teams like Richmond who have Taranto and Hopper running through there and Prestia, they just got exposed. Yeah, it seemed to be a chip and charge in that third quarter of Adelaide. So as soon as you get it, turn around, chip and chip to another one and just, just go uh, straight to the forward line, which sort of turned the game and Richmond couldn't get a hold of Adelaide in that third quarter. And yet uh, it's just seems to be just Rory Laird and that, that's pretty much it. They, they really need a bigger type uh, body in that midfield uh, to really take a hold of uh, obviously other opposition stronger mids. Anyway, so let's move on here. So you mentioned Jacob Hopper and Tim Taranto. So they've added extra bite into that midfield for the Tigers. Yeah, I think they, they just know their role now. Like Taranto is often first in. He's the bull that's trying to fight for the footy. Hopper's the first man he gives it to, and then they get a clearance away. And then Dion Presti obviously running through there as well. But yeah, I, I was incredibly impressed. And, and Tim Taranto had a great debut against Carlton. But the question was always going to be, you know, can he back it up? Is he going to spend high minutes up forward and kind of be that rotation player? He's a pure mid now. I think he loses his DPP by the end of the year, but his role is definitely the Tigers' major ball winner, uh, and he seems like a star recruit for them. Jacob Hopper, meanwhile, he had a little bit of a scare when he fell backwards in a tackle, and there was a worry that maybe there'd be a syndesmosis issue, but jogged off, came back later in the game, and and just looked a lot more composed and, and understood where he needed to be. I think against Carlton, he, he got lost a little bit in the shuffle. I think he had 18 touches, um, whereas on the weekend, yeah, he was a main player. Uh, there were times where, where he was in and under fighting for the footy and then others where he was all alone and, and he's for a kick mark. So he was a bit more of an all-round performance from Jacob Hopper and Jim Taranto. And there'll be, there'll be teams that will put a lot more pressure on them in the midfield in the weeks to come. I mean, Collingwood on Friday is going to be a massive game, but... 
Um, Tim Taranto, you can you can lock him in, I guess, as as a star player who at the moment I imagine could be up there with Nick Dacos leading Brownlow votes. Uh, I mean, we're in the two rounds in, but he'd probably be three and three right now. Yeah, well, interesting when Hopper went off uh, with that injury concern is that uh, Shy Bolton was the, the the initial one in there for the Tigers, so just to add a different dynamic. But yeah, he was the first up, first name called to replace Hopper in there. But yeah, Hopper returned to the to the game and obviously had undergo a little bit of an assessment this week. So hopefully he's all good. So let's move on now. Samson Ryan gave the Tigers an extra target up forward, and obviously Boom won from outside fifty there late. Yeah, I really liked him. Um, I mean, from his debut a couple of years ago where he didn't have a touch, gave away free and had one hit out, there were always concerns about the potential of what he could be. Was he just a tall bloke? And, and that was the only reason he was on the AFL list. But he's been grinding away. He kicked over 30 goals in the VFL last year and finally gets his opportunity again at the Adelaide Oval. And I thought his positioning was, was incredible. I mean, he, he didn't have a lot of the footy, only the six touches. But uh, when he did get it inside the 50, you know, three goals from that, largely because of where he was. He was smart in the way that he positioned himself in packs. He let out strong. The only thing that he doesn't have going for him at the moment is probably his weight. He's, he's still basically a kid. He's this 206-centimeter giant. He's got no mass to him. So when he actually bulks out a little bit, he could be a phenomenal key forward when he gets a, a, a bit of movement and body work into his game, which, you know, will take time. But... Um, I, I really like him as a prospect, considering you know Jack Rewalt's probably out the door soon. Um, he's obviously significantly taller than Jack, but th- they're going to need a second key forward, and, and maybe Samson Ryan can be that guy. You mentioned Rory Laird uh, earlier, so he got on his bike this week after being held out of stoppage situations last week. Yeah, I was really impressed. Um, there were a couple of times where he turned it over uh, unnecessarily, but he, he kept finding space. So he was in there in the middle, um, fighting for the footy as always, but there were a couple of times where he was open for the handball uh, rather than the first person in. Um, that that pressure wasn't there that the Giants kind of put on last week, so there are going to be weeks where he gets more attention, and that's the only concerning part that I mentioned earlier is he's probably their only star player in the middle. You know, Rochelle running in there is exciting, but he's not dominant yet. Uh, and Sam Berry has just disappeared this year. He was supposed to take that next mm. step and just hasn't really done that. So there's going to be a couple of times where teams will realise if you shut down Laird, you, you probably win the mid- midfield battle quite comfortable. So um, that's the only concern there, but he, he clearly hasn't lost a step, Rory Laird, and, and the conditions of last week on the uh, in Sydney is obviously going to play a factor in why he only had 18 touches and, and why the Crows rolled over. But back at home, I mean, a showdown this weekend as well, I feel like he's back to his best. Yeah, we didn't have this one on the script, but I just want to mention Rory Sloan there. So uh, a lot of outside uh, work, obviously coming back from a major injury. So at some stage, he could add bite within that inside midfield type role. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's incredible how well he's come back. I honestly didn't expect it at his age and the length of injury. Uh, Often it does take players a a bit of time to find their form again after a, a year off with a knee, but he looks great. Uh, and obviously, as you said, he's more of an outside player at the moment, but he's getting around the ground, he's, he's finding space, um, so maybe there is an opportunity for him to, to get back in that midfield a bit more significantly, and they are rotating that third spot quite heavily, so everyone's kind of getting a crack at it as they try to figure out what the, the mix is going to be for the years to come, and internally, Adelaide expects to, to hit the free agency market once again in the off-season, but... The, the names, or the South Australian names at least, that are out there, um, there's not a lot of gettable ones that, you know, fit what they need, which is that big body kind of Patrick Cripps style player, which, you know, there isn't a lot of them going around. And 
And even if they are, they'd probably want to play for a Victorian club because that's just how free agency kind of works is that allure of going to Melbourne. So um, Adelaide's yeah, in a bit of a pickle there. They seem to pretty confident they can get a big fish, but is it the type of player they need? We'll wait and see. Uh, I think, you know, Sloan's obviously probably in his last year, even though he's playing very well. So hopefully, you know, he, he could just keep up the good work in his last hurrah. Josh Rochelle and Isaac Rankin are showing signs of being game-changing type players. Yeah, definitely. And I think Rochelle is working in the midfield. Yeah, he, he's getting a lot of the footy when he's in there. He's fighting hard for it, and he soaks up the crowd as well. He's he's a very energetic type of player and, and builds on momentum. But, yeah, he's not probably tall and big enough is the, the unfortunate part for what Adelaide is looking for. But he's certainly put on some weight over the offseason and, and bulked up. So he, he's definitely more imposing now that he's getting the centre bounces. He's a, he's a talented player, so he's definitely going to be something special, and, and he can rotate forward, as we've seen. Isaac Rankin as well, star recruit. I think um, he didn't probably have his most impactful game on the weekend purely because Adelaide didn't get a lot of the footy inside 50, but he's just special. I mean, I saw him warming up before the game, and he's he's doing these dribble kicks from tight angles outside the boundary line. He's got the talent and kind of that carefree, fun factor where he knows he can have a crack from anywhere and really pull it off. So I think he wants more midfield time. That's kind of been the messaging since he arrived in Adelaide and why he came here, but I'm I'm not really sure that's where he plays his best footy. I think uh, he's as one of the main men up in attack. That's kind of where Isaac belongs, and and clearly, you know, he, he could win their leading goal kicker award if he continues the way he's going. Yeah, definitely for me, his best role is half forward, uh, forward pocket type role, and heading the scoreboard, and obviously providing severe mismatches there in the forward line. All right, so let's move on to some fantasy chat now. So. We're looking at Adelaide and Richmond first. So Rory led 142 points, uh, obviously a monster score through that midfield. Yeah, massive. I think his break-even was 174, so he'll lose a little bit of cash, but um, not as much as obviously those who would have held him uh, were worried about. I think they've done the right decision there by holding on to him and, and setting for getting their M1. Um, so, yeah, clearly lead ceiling remains the same. He's going to have these massive games across the year, and, and hopefully the the 57 that we saw isn't isn't going to be a frequent issue. That there will be a couple of tags that come and go, but um, not many teams rely on that. So I think he'll be okay. And then I mean, looking ahead to this weekend of the showdown, that he is very easily a front runner to be the showdown medalist uh, alongside Connor Rosie in, in the form that he's in. That the best part about his performance on the weekend was his tackling again. I, I know he had 39 touches, but um, at his best when he's when he's breaking those 120 barriers, he's an eight tackle player, and that's what he got. And that the intensity was clearly there. So we, you know, there was that concern after the 57 that he, he wasn't copping a hard tag, but he was getting some work into him that maybe he didn't have that drive or he was a little bit lost with the structure. But no, he's back. He's back to where he's best. And um, yeah, I imagine the the lockout hasn't opened yet, so I'm not sure exactly what his break even will be heading into the weekend. But I think he's basically reset where he was. Lockie Shoal, 110 points. So his scoring rate was outstanding on Saturday. Yeah, he's always been a pretty good player when he gets the opportunity at the Adelaide Crows. He, he finds the footy a lot, and his disposal efficiency is incredibly high, especially by foot. The issue is he's just always been out of favour, to the point where he was actually... There were rumours of him going to Carlton in the off-season before the Blues kind of picked up a couple of other players and decided not to go after him. But, I mean, Matthew Nix has been incredibly impressed by his pre-season form. Apparently, he's been fighting very hard, and he showed that on the weekend. You know, he looked his best. I reckon that probably the highest score he's ever been able to attain. 27 touches, 
Um, I, I really like the look of him. Again, the, the issue is he's not always seen as the best 22 player. So how long is he going to stay there? I'm not sure. And that job security is always a problem in fantasy. And at his price point, which is awkward, um, it may not be worth the gamble considering those around him are, are probably a bit more safer picks. Yeah, let, let's wrap up these two again here. So Jacob Hopper, 109 points. Tim Taranto, 108 points. So it feels like to me, Jacob Hopper, that's his ceiling, whereas Tim Taranto, 108, you know, he can go higher than that. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Hopper's best is is 110 max. Uh, if anything, he, you know, hopefully he can average 100 through the year, but maybe he's going to be like a 90-95 player, which is fine. But, you know, he probably won't make a ton of cash for where he's at, but he's a safe pick. Tim Taranto, meanwhile, is a lock. Like, you, you know he's going to be a top six forward by the end of the year. And as I mentioned before, he could be one of the front runners for the Brown, though, in the form that he's in if Richmond win enough games. So um, clearly, Tim not only accumulates the footy tackles and can hit the scoreboard, so that's kind of the all-round performance that you need from your big guns. So he's been a bit of a surprise packet. I kind of expected him to average 100. Tim Taranto, I didn't think he could be a player that could possibly push 115, 120, and and that's kind of where he's headed at this stage. It's it's early on, but he you know he's breaking that mold. Richmond generally don't have high scorers like this, and and he's really taken charge of that midfield unit. And super consistent uh, across halfback there, Jordan Dawson, 101 points there. Yeah, and a lot of footy was coming in, which helps. Um, but I know they are very keen to get him in the middle at some point, Jordan Dawson, but. Um, they definitely need him down back, especially with the decisions they've been making at, at the selection table. They they just didn't have a structure down there or any height. And, and Jordan Dawson's actually quite tall. He was probably the second biggest uh, defender on the weekend, which is a bit of a shock when Jordan Butts is out. But, yeah, it still found a lot of the footy. Uh, 101 in the end is a, is a great score. And, again, a, a reliable defensive premium. And, you know, you get your money's worth. I think I said in the preseason he was never really going to make money. I, I don't think he's a value pick. But he's a safe pick, so he's worth the cash to splash. But if you don't have him and you don't have someone like Nick Dacos, for instance, I think the upside on the Pies defender is is probably larger than someone like Jordan Dawson, who, whilst he's a safe 100, um, probably won't have these huge scores through the year. Let's move on to a wrap of the other games. So uh, 138 points from Jeremy Cameron, probably not an option in Classic there, but six goals, and he crushed Carlton on Thursday night. Yeah, he put the the cats on his back a little bit and brought them back into the game, which is incredible. And then the best part about it, as you mentioned, is the disposals. Uh, six goals is great from Jeremy, and there's going to be times where he does that with less touches. But, yeah, he was all over the ground, and, um, you know, that's not sustainable for him. Credit to anyone who has him in fantasy because it's a huge result. But, yeah, I think you're, you're thinking more draft and keeper when, you, when it comes to Jeremy Cameron. You know, if you had him on field for this weekend – Kudos to you. Um, is it going to continue? Probably not. You know, there's going to be games where he pushes 70, 80, but um, he certainly has the capacity to take over, uh, especially with Tom Hawkins still kind of managing a bit of a niggle. It doesn't seem to be his best, and, and Jezza, as a result, has certainly been the talisman for this footy club. On Friday night, Max Gorn, knee injury, so he's going to miss four to six weeks, but that provides an opportunity for Brodie Grundy. And probably along alongside that uh, injury for Gorn is a Jacob Van Roy, and he's on the radar to debut. Yeah, it sounded like he got a bit of ruck work on the weekend in the VFL. Uh, I think he kicked a goal and then had a couple of hit-outs. So, yeah, he could be straight in at 200K, which is very exciting. And Brodie Grundy, yeah, all of a sudden becomes an option fantasy-wise when he never really was heading into this year, especially coming off that knee injury. And 
there was a lot of criticism around his game when he took over as the main ruck on Friday night, that even though he dominated the hitouts, it, it wasn't really helping Melbourne because they didn't actually go anywhere and they lost clearances quite comfortably. But it doesn't matter from a fantasy perspective. Uh, to play against Oscar McInerney and have 45 hitouts, it's a massive result. And clearly, Grundy can still tap ruck at his best. So, um, you know, when, when he was, you know, more of a... R1, R2 type player, he was getting around the ground, taking more marks and actually winning disposal. We didn't see that on Friday night, but it was a poor performance from Melbourne all round and in the middle they they didn't have any chance with the footy so he wasn't really getting any handball receives or a chance to even tackle. Um, so clearly if he can win the hit out battle, uh, at the value that he's at, it, it may be worth a shout for you know the owners who have Sean Darcy who are maybe looking at another option. Um, although Gorn's injury wasn't as long-term as expected, so it's still a little bit of a, a short run there if you get Brody Grundy in, but maybe he takes you to the buys and then you look ahead from there. Same game, 149 points from Clayton Oliver. So Berry goes in there, shows a little bit of attention, but not that much, and Oliver just monster game there. Yeah, I actually brought Clayton in this week for Rory Laird, and about a minute before the bounce, I'm frantically refreshing trying to change it because I'd heard about the Berry tag and was very worried about how it would go and very thankful that I didn't get in because, yeah, the 149 was a massive result for a skipper. Um, he looked great, Clayton Oliver, and I think the best part about it was, yeah, getting away from the Berry tag, but also his tackling. He was still very involved in the middle, um, kept running, and obviously I think he was around... 100, 110 before the blackout and and the last seven minutes they ended up playing um, he took over and, and Melbourne did as well because they kind of realised that Brisbane would have taken their foot off the gas so a lot of that score comes from just the drama and theatrics of it all that you know he still has the capacity to hit those scores but um, don't expect 149 every week but clearly off the round one result and now into round two Clayton Oliver's going to finish the year as a top six top eight midfielder. I mean, I'm going to say the top two. I think it'll be Laird and, and Oliver by the end of the year because um, he's just an all-round player. He fights for the footy, accumulates it, and can score. So, yeah, he's a safe pick from here. Collingwood senior coach Craig McRae uh, threw out debate there early in the week, and he said that Nick Dacos should be tagged. Uh, scores 117 points, so uh, Lockie Jones goes to him early, and obviously uh, there's a few other players that put time into him, but Dacos just found too much of it, and by the end, he just uh, racked up the points quite uh, easily in the end. So 117 points from Nick Dacos. Yeah, this is a huge result, purely because, as you mentioned, there, there was a tag placed on Nick Dacos, and I know it was only Lockie Jones and the first time he's ever really done it, but the fact that we headed into the preseason and round one and, and a lot of players didn't pick Nick Dacos because they were worried about a tag. I mean, I traded him out last minute because I thought Mark O'Connor would run with him in round one, and... And he finally cocks one in round two, and he not only beats it, he destroys it and still manages to get over 100 comfortably, gets all around the ground. Um, clearly, that just fills you with a bit of confidence, you know, that he's going to get attention throughout the year because at the moment he's up there in, in terms of the Brownlow favoritism and he's leading the charge for the Pies. But um, he can clearly get around it now because in that first year uh, as a debut player, there were times where he couldn't find his way into games and get around it. But... On the weekend, we saw a more mature performance, still from a second-year bloke who's got a lot of potential and a lot more development to come, but already is a star of the game. So there's going to be a lot of people scrambling to get him in now because uh, at his value, he should be a top-two defender. 
Next one here, so Jack Steer, 118 points, but unfortunately he's broken his collarbone. So he played that last quarter with that broken collarbone out for four weeks now. Yeah, if you haven't seen the image, jump online and or on Twitter and search for it because it's incredible how significant the break was and that he still manages to rack up so much footy in the last quarter. Um, this is a devastating one, I think, for, for those who started with him, including myself, that um, you know he's just a really reliable player, Jack Steele, and four weeks is just too long. You're just going to have to move him on. The, the good news is, I guess, because he scored so well in that game, he's going to be at a, a decent price. You've got a lot of options to move him around. Um, whether you, you stick with a premium and maybe try to get someone like a Clayton Oliver or an Andrew Brayshaw, or you look for more value, I think this is an opportunity for a lot of coaches, and I say this because this is what I'm thinking of doing, this is an opportunity to completely restructure your lineup. And maybe there is a player down back or up forward. Um, you could drop Jack Steele down to someone like a Will Setterfield, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment, and use that cash elsewhere. So sometimes... Injury feels like crisis, but other times it can open up opportunities. And I think the Jack Steele one, because of his price and he hasn't plummeted, you know, he's, he's still a top five player in terms of price. You've got a lot of options, so it's not the end of the world. If anything, you can use it to actually, yeah, restructure and, and figure out a way forward from here. Crisis certainly creates opportunity in that situation. And speaking about opportunity. Harry Sheasel, 127 points, absolutely just his electric scoring rate out of halfback for North Melbourne. Remarkable. I, I can't believe the role. We went into the preseason thinking this is a great X-Factor small forward who could impact the game for North Melbourne and maybe he'll be a 50-60s player and we'll make some cash on him and we'll move him on. The way that he's playing across halfback and finding the footy, he could be a set-and-forget forward, which is incredible for a, a, a debut player in his first year. He's already well, heading into the round and made, I think, over 150000 and and his break-even is going to skyrocket in terms of the negatives. This could be the highest negative break-even we ever see in fantasy, considering he was negative 17 heading into the round and then scores 127. Um, yeah, I wouldn't even consider moving him on until halfway through the year because at some point he will hit a rookie wall and North Melbourne will hit a wall as well because, you know, it's funny they've started the season so well but at some point they're, they're going to get a reality check handed to them but um he, he's a remarkable talent you know, this could be the best first year player fantasy wise that we've ever seen um so averaging 122 of two games he, you'd be stoked if you got him in a keeper league you'd be very happy if you got him late in the draft and, and in classic just don't touch him leave him on the field wait till the buys so the Kangaroos play Hawthorne next week, which would be quite interesting. Maybe he can put up another decent score. And, and from the same game, the Kangaroos on the weekend, we're going to talk about Luke, Luke Davis' Uniac. He scores 123 points. But I figure with Hawthorne coming up, you know, that could be a good opportunity for Sam Mitchell to send Finn McGuinness to Luke Davis' Uniac. But what we've seen with Sam Mitchell... Uh, so far this year, that he's moving a lot of stuff around within game. So it's not certain, but it's just one to keep an eye out for uh, with Luke Davis, Uniaki. But he was good on the weekend. Again, 123 points. Yeah, just has taken another step this year. He, he looks like a beast when he gets the footy and a couple of don't argues and busting his way through packs. But I completely agree. I think McGuinness didn't tag against Sydney on the weekend, but there is a real opportunity for Sam Mitchell here to shut down North Melbourne because Jai Simpkin has been handed a one-match ban for striking Caleb Sarong. So already North lose one of their star midfielders. If you tag Luke Davies-Uniaki, all, all of a sudden they don't have a lot of options. So 
I would not be surprised if Sam Mitchell went that way purely just to, to shut down, you know, the impact that he can have because he, he's winning clearances, he's getting on the scoreboard, he's setting up plays. So um, it's a danger one, but I wouldn't, you know, panic trade him at all because clearly he's going to have a great break even heading into the round averaging 115. So you just hold firm. But I think if you're someone, for example, who has Jack Steele and you're looking for an alternative, this probably isn't the week to get on Luke Davies' Uniaki. So last one here, so Will Setterfield scores 130 points. So over pre-season, he'd settled into that sort of first rotation inside midfield role. Uh, I didn't think the scoring rate was going to be quite strong, but over the first two weeks, he's just gone nuts. It's the tackling as well. He's just getting right in amongst it. And there were a couple of times today where he, he disappeared for five or ten minutes, and then he came right back with his huge scoring surges. So, um, I mean, at the end of the day, at his price, he, he's obviously going to jump as a result of the 126 um, that he's averaged. But um, he's six, he was 648 heading into the round. So you'd expect maybe he gets towards like a 670, 680. He's still in remarkable value. And even if from here on out he averages 70 or 80, he's still worth a hold for the next month at least. Uh, I think I think he's a priority target this week. And that's, that's why I'm going steel down to him because it's a long season. And someone like Will, who is priced at where he's at, will eventually end up being an 800,000 player. He's just going to be an easy money generator. And if he, you know, at worst, he's scoring 60s and 70s, and after two or three weeks, you've still made 100,000 and you move him on. At best, he continues at the current scoring rate he's at, and maybe he's a 100 player, and you've got yourself a premium midfielder at an incredibly low price. Uh, I think you have to get on. The, the CBAs are there. The role is right. This isn't a one-hit wonder. We've, we've seen the same thing two weeks in a row, and it's resulted in two Essendon wins. Brad Scott's not going to change that. So, And, and he's not going to cop a tag either because he's playing alongside Darcy Parrish and Zach Merritt. So he feels like a very reliable player to get in right now. He's certainly a target for this week, that's for sure. So, Aaron, thanks for joining us on the AFL Ratings podcast today. Where can the listeners find you this week and also next weekend's game? Uh, so you can find me at Aaron Bryans. I'll be calling the showdown this weekend. So for ABC Radio Adelaide, you can obviously hear all our games on ABC Sport on the Listen app, regardless of where you are. Uh, there's the AFL button, the AFL Extra button. So uh, there's two games head-to-head like there is going to be on Saturday night. Uh, both of those games will be available to you on the app. So really looking forward to the showdown, to be honest. It's a funny old one, the fact that Port Adelaide and Adelaide uh, have shown glimpses of a great team and neither of them have really been able to capitalise on that. There's going to be some serious pressure on Ken Hinckley if Port lose this one. And Adelaide could be 0-3, and three, which would be a devastating way to start the season for a team that, from all reports, is supposed to be exiting its rebuild. So... Yeah, there's a lot on the line Saturday night. And, you know, the last time I caught a showdown, it was Jordan Dawson kicking a goal after the siren. So who knows how it'll play out. Uh, always compulsory uh, listening, obviously, what viewing there as well. So just tune up your uh, TV with the radio there. So uh, I love watching the showdowns, the intensity of the crowd. It's just, you know, it's just certainly a whole lot on the AFL season. So you can find me at AFL Ratings Pete on Twitter. Uh, certainly a lot of Twitter accounts there with regards to AFL Ratings and obviously aflratings.com.au uh, for a significant amount of news, obviously, this season. Well, Aaron, thanks for joining us today. Uh, have a great week and we'll catch up with you at the end of round three. Yes, I like with the trades, Pete. Yes, you too.